This is the Missionary District Podcast. I am Tyler Wall, elder at Via Church, and this is Amos Martell. Hello, everybody. My name is Amos Martell. I'm a deacon here at Via Lethbridge. So the purpose of these podcasts, uh, we've talked about this, but our listeners probably haven't heard any of this. So what is the purpose of this podcast? Yeah, I think, uh, well, you and I, Tyler, we uh, have been talking for a little while about doing something on secularism. And so uh, we decided to put some podcasts together for that. Um, And then we've also uh, loosely been discussing this idea of having a place to uh, maybe answer some theological or catechetical type questions. Uh, And so this is a bit of an experiment. I'm not sure how this will go. Uh, but maybe this could be an avenue for that type of thing uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you said a word there, catechetical. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> uh, instructive in the faith. Okay. Uh, so um, catechism is uh, the process of preparing for baptism generally, um, but sort of basic questions about the faith. Uh, often I'll get uh, people asking questions like maybe, why do we call our priests father or... Um, why can only people who are baptized uh, receive the Eucharist? Or some churches baptize children and some churches don't. What's the deal with that? Uh, questions like that. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so now we've, when we talked about this, uh, you had done some teaching on other, other topics. Uh, I think Mormonism was one of them. And we, you did it in a video format. And I hear that it had good reception. Um, but we're now correct me if I'm wrong, but we were just when we were talking earlier, there was talk about having more conversational type of instruction and maybe um, just like a back and forth on different topics and to maybe have a little bit more fun with it. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> I, uh, I, I have done that. Uh... We're a so, barrel of fun. <laughs> uh, I have done that, uh, the teaching videos format uh, in the past, and uh, I think it is something that, that I'm, I'm well suited to uh, and, and enjoy doing that sort of thing. I think on a topic like secularism, um, it's so broad and it's a little bit exploratory for me even at this point. And so it seemed like a more conversational style Um, just might help us to flesh it out a little bit more and to hear more than one perspective on it. Um, And yeah, just explore it together. Yeah. Okay. So when we talked, we're going to, we were, the idea is, is that you're going to try and you're going to try and teach me and I'm the hapless rube (laughs) that that is here to ask questions um, on, on the, on the stuff that you're talking about Uh, and maybe add some stuff that I've heard. Um, and that's generally the format they're going to go with for now. We're open to feedback from people who listen, uh, if they feel like there's too much hapless rube. And, <laughs> I'm not uh, sure hapless rube is a good, uh, <laughs> descriptor of you. Well, <laughs> I think you have, uh, really good questions and, uh, good thoughts that, uh, people okay. want to hear. So. Right. I prefer hapless rube, but <laughs> that's fine. Um. But I will try and ask questions. And I think the idea behind this is actually to open up the avenue for other people to to start engaging with this kind of topic. Because when you start say, throwing around words like uh, secularism and 
cat a kitty corner. Um, <laughs> uh, when you start throwing around those words, some people start to glaze over. That's true, yeah. <laughs> and I I love that kind of stuff. I've never heard a catechism. Could have little, I can't even say it. Catechism. Catechetical? Catechetical, yeah. Catechesis? Yeah. Catechumen? Um, I know the root and all that stuff, catechism and all that kind of stuff, but i never, it's like you're just making up words at this point. <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to lend maybe a, a mindset to it where the curiosity, I'm the curious person and, and we want other people to be curious and to engage with it really well because I think we think that it's very important in this world today. So without further ado, I think what we're going to do is, Amos, if you wouldn't mind just kind of start talking about uh, secularism uh, and teaching about it, I will jump in when I feel uncomfortable Great. and needing more information, more maybe so that you, you stretch it out a bit more, if that's okay. That sounds great. Okay. Yeah, so our, our guiding question for this first episode that we're doing here is, what is in the groundwater? And because I think that before we can even seriously start to talk about the things that are inherent to a secular worldview in particular, we have to have some awareness of what we might be looking for in general. And really today, I just have two main points that I want to make about this. And the first point is that we all have beliefs, metaphysical beliefs that govern our perceptions of the world. And I will explain more about what that means in a couple of minutes. And the second thing is that we're often unaware of our beliefs. So we all have, the first thing, we all have metaphysical beliefs, or we might call them presuppositions or assumptions that govern or influence our perceptions of the world. And and secondly, we're actually often unaware of those things. Uh, so I'm just going to jump in. Uh, secular, secularism. Um could you describe what that word is? Yeah, the, the word means, uh, I suppose it means ordinary. Um, and, and it speaks of the divide between the secular and the sacred, uh, the ordinary and the holy or the transcendent, perhaps, uh, something like that. And so often uh, in our world, we, we speak of the separation of church and state. And that's something that to us... Um, in some ways, defines what a secular society is. Um, and we'll, we'll get more uh, into the nuances of what secularism is, uh, I think, in the next episode. Uh, but in general, I think um, that's probably enough to go on. Is that? Yeah, that's good. I think that's fair. Yeah, you bet. I know uh, growing up in the 90s in church, there was always a big concern about the secular world versus uh, the world in the church. Um, and so... Maybe that's not a full picture of what it's like, uh, but it's a good enough starting place for now. Okay, great. Yeah, so a, a good place for us to start, I think, is by acknowledging that each of us has a lens through which we see the world. We have certain assumptions about reality that we bring with us into everything that we do and that impact the rest of our beliefs. And I think we're generally aware of that on some level. Uh, we're very aware of this in certain contexts. We know that uh, our news sources are biased one way or the other, for example. 
we know that they're uh, laying an interpretive framework on top of the facts because they want us to understand the facts in a certain way and come to certain conclusions that are agreeing to their underlying philosophy. Now, they never say that openly, and they'll probably never articulate what their underlying philosophy is, uh, but we all know that that sort of thing is there. And so we're very aware of it in certain contexts, and we're probably better at identifying it in other people uh, than in ourselves. And so we're, we're kind of aware of that. What might be a little bit more jarring for us is the idea that a lot of our own basic assumptions about the world and about how the world works are things that we've never actually consciously identified. You know, we might even be completely unaware of them. Beliefs that are instilled in us as a result of our environment, our upbringing, our location, our culture, uh, those things very often remain unstated. We, we pick them up with the groundwater, so to speak. They're, they're below the surface in some metaphorical sense. They're just there, you know, a little bit maybe like that, uh, that strange painting in your grandmother's house that you only consciously noticed when you were 28 years old. You know, it was, it was there the whole time, and in retrospect, it actually influenced the mood of the room, but you were never really aware of it. Uh, something like that, only on a much larger scale. Um, or perhaps something like, like gravity. You don't have to know what gravity is or be consciously aware of it in order for it to act on you. It's just there. It's there all the time. And it might never occur to us to ask, you know, why do I always fall down instead of up or sideways? Uh, but if, if it does, if we do ask those questions, then we would discover that it's because of this force that is constantly acting on us. And similarly, we might never ask, why do I always respond to this type of situation in these ways? Uh, but if we do ask those kinds of questions, we might discover that the force of our beliefs is actually orienting us to certain ends. It allows us to see some things and makes it very difficult to see other things. Yeah, that makes total sense. I, I've heard, I really like the, the word groundwater. I've heard the, the term worldview uh, from a lot of different places, and I've never heard the term groundwater, but I really like it because it, it's this essence of you place something in water and it just starts wicking up the water that's, that's, that's at the bottom. Yeah. And uh, like I know if I take a plant in a pot and that pot has holes in the bottom, if I place it in an inch of water, it will wick that water up and the plant will actually grow from that water. Right. And if it stays at one inch, it, it will, you don't even have to water the plant at that point because the, the soil itself kind of pulls that water up into the, into the soil and then the plant can grab it from there. Um, so when we're talking about worldviews, uh, some of the questions that, that I've looked into that are that, that foundational thing that you, we just assume right. and we don't actually question it, but things that are, that need to be questions, questioned are like, why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, why is the universe fine-tuned? How do we get consciousness? What is consciousness? How do we get life from non-life? What is beauty? Uh, these are things that we kind of take for granted in our life, that we, that it's just in the groundwater and we kind of wick it up from all the sources that are around us, but we never question it. Yeah, a lot of those big questions we, we never really address uh, yeah. in our lives. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, uh, Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And um, I think part of the reason I want to talk about secularism is because I think that our blindness to the background beliefs or the groundwater that, that, that is around us in this age prevents us in some ways from following this command. Like how, how can we resist being conformed to this world when we aren't even really fully aware of the direction that it's pushing us in? Yeah, you know, you know and that, that brings to mind one of those assumptions that really it can conform us whichever way you, whichever way you believe, and it's that uh, how we're born. And are we, if we're born inherently good or if we're born inherently bad, and I, I, I'm saying good and bad, yep. kind of like we're already placing uh, judgments on these things that, that people do. Um, and, if you, and if you adhere to the belief of we're born inherently good, then what causes all the bad things in life? That the, the bad things I do, well, it must be external things right. happening to me, which cause me to do bad things. And so we have to create a system that takes away those bad things so that I can be free to just be good. Right. Whereas if, if I have the belief where I'm inherently ba- born inherently bad, then of course the outflowing of what I do is going to be generally bad. That doesn't, now we're, I'm not saying everything that you do is good and bad, but generally selfish, I guess is what you can say. Um, and so then it becomes, well, you have to train that out of a person and then it makes sense that if someone has not been trained out of that, that you, uh, that there's punishment and that they take responsibility for what they're doing. Right. Um, those are two things that when I heard about that, it really made me challenge my assumptions. Like you're talking about, I started looking at my groundwater and saying, okay, what's going on here? What do I have to start looking at? Cause the outflowing of that, the leaves, so to speak, coming out of the plant, uh, will differentiate depending on which groundwater you're pulling up in right. that, in that, on that question. Yeah, that's going to have a lot of impact. I think, you know, if you believe that people are inherently good, uh, you still have to deal with the bad things, the evil things in the world. And so where does the blame go? Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe where does the, the responsibility lie? Um, and if people are inherently good, then, then that responsibility is external. Um, maybe institutions or governments or mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Um, if people are inherently bad, um, then you're probably more prone to uh, looking to the individual um, to take responsibility um, for for their actions. Or yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it and it's it's a good thing to question. It's a good thing in Christianity. Um, if a person's born inherently good, for instance, then is there a need for Jesus' sacrifice, so to speak? And that's something you'd have to tackle. You'd have to tackle if you have that belief. If that was your belief, then you'd have to have a, a decent answer for that. Yeah, uh, certainly would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, carry on. I, I interrupted. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I think to want to, just to get back to our, our, um, our line of thought there, one of the, one of the challenges with having this discussion is it seems like as soon as we start talking about it, people automatically assume that they're exempt. You know, they think, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty aware of my biases. I know uh, all about secularism. I know the way that it, it influences me. 
and they can see that it applies to everybody else, uh, but they don't think that it applies to them. And uh, I think we'd like to challenge that, you know, through the course of, of these conversations. Um, so yeah, just to sort of back up to my, my two main points there, there are, there are beliefs that we hold that are just there, uh, that we've never tested, that we've never really thought about. They're just there in the groundwater. And uh, a lot of our discussions uh, are going to be particularly concerned with the metaphysical beliefs that we hold and how they influence us. And so when we talk about metaphysics, uh, that's, that's another one of those big confusing words, perhaps. Uh, but we're basically asking what it is that lies beyond what we can see and hear and touch and feel. You know, what is beyond the physical? What is it, if anything, that lies at the foundation of the physical laws of the universe? So it's, it's not physics. It's not just a study of the natural world. It's metaphysics. It tries to answer all those big questions of life and the universe and everything. Why are we here? What does it mean to say that we exist or that the universe exists? What is our philosophy of being, our ontology? What does it mean to say that, that something or anything even exists in the first place? And uh, as, as a Christian, of course, most of those questions are, are answered with God. God is the one who created all things, the one who sustains our existence from moment to moment. And so one of my fundamental metaphysical beliefs is that God exists. Uh, it's fairly simple. And of course, that belief, though, then goes on to color the way that I see the world and the way that I interact with the world. And so if we're going to start talking about morality, for example, my belief in God and the way that he has revealed himself or the way that I understand that he has revealed himself is going to deeply impact the way that I understand and communicate uh, what good moral living is. If we start talking about politics, well, my belief in God is at the foundation of the way that I live my life. And so why wouldn't I want that to also inform the way that a society should be structured? And already you, you can probably see that your beliefs, your metaphysical worldview, let's say, is, is going to strongly influence other beliefs that you hold and even the actions that you take and the conversations that you have, whether you're consciously aware of it all the time or not. So let's take as an example uh, a hypothetical conversation about the economic policies of different political parties. That was a boring sentence. I almost fell asleep while I was speaking it. Uh, but th that's, that's a fairly <laughs> complex subject uh, about which we might expect a lot of disagreement. Um, but you want to convince your dialogue partners that your political parties and their economic policies are worth supporting. And so how are you going to do that? You might present your viewpoint using numbers and statistics. You might bust out a spreadsheet. Uh, you're probably going to look at some historical trends and projections. And you're going to use all of these things to argue that your political party is addressing whatever fiscal issue in the right way. And it will appear to be a very empirically motivated position. You're trying to communicate that what you believe about this topic is grounded in objectively verifiable facts and only facts. But it's not really true. Uh, we, we can't really cleanly separate our beliefs from the rest of our lives. Our belief structures are always present in the background and influencing everything that we do. But they do often go unstated. You know, you wouldn't start that conversation by saying, well, because God exists and because Canadian culture is this way and because my mother instilled in me a value for fiscal responsibility, blah, 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 and, and build up from there. You don't make all of those connections all the time. 
And mm -hmm. that's just an example. And I'm not saying that everyone who believes in God should be advocating for the same political system or anything like that. Uh, but one of the primary reasons that we would hold different convictions about things like politics is due to the influence of our metaphysical worldview. We can all see the same facts, but we don't come to the same conclusions. We're formed by our particular beliefs to interpret the facts in different ways. Yeah, and you know, interestingly, um, J. Werner Wallace, he, he writes a book called uh, Cold Case uh, Christianity. I believe it's called. We'll, okay. we'll post we'll post the book in the in the description of of this podcast. Uh, but he he goes about it. So he's a cold case investigator, and he's never lost a case. Apparently, he's been on TV and all sorts of stuff. Very he's very successful in what he does. He wrote a book. Became, he became a Christian, but basically that's what he does. He, he gathers evidence, and he says that when you gather evidence. Uh, you, you draw conclusions from that evidence, and depending who you are, the conclusion can be vastly different. Right. And I find that just, just fascinating, and, and, and it actually makes me remember an article I read, and I'll, I'll, if I can find the article, I'll post it in, in the description as well. But it basically said that if you resort, and the way they framed it, if you resort to presenting facts in a disagreement or an argument, you've already lost. <laughs> <laughs> and I found, I was just, I read the byline, I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah. But we're so emotional and we're so, uh, we're, we rely on that groundwater so much. Right. At the same time, we, we would all say that we care the most about the facts. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and but when you're drawing from the groundwater that much and the lens that you're using through your worldview, uh, we tend to dismiss other people's facts and only use our own. And sorry, I'm going to say another link that I found. I think this is in 2015, uh, but it was basically um, the idea of when people are told from a mainstream new news media or something like that uh, to believe a certain way, they're instinctively uh, skeptical of that. But if they search it, on their own, and they find it on their own, they're very, very uh, confirmed in what they find. Right. And the article itself was actually about how Google can win an election <laughs> one way or the other simply by tweaking an algorithm, and that algorithm can be actually tweaked by hundreds of employees, and it doesn't even have to be coming from Google high ops. It can just be some guy that says, I'm going to tweak a, an algorithm here for one day, and then switch it back, and they found that they can swing, swing an election by twenty points either way. Oh wow! Yeah, it was, and that's with the, the undecided people, obviously. So, yeah. But that's just by changing the, the search results on the first page. Oh wow! Yeah, and it was. So I'll try and post both of those in there. But I think it kind of goes to show how, how we can't really see our bias, nearly as well as we think we can. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I think, uh, I mean, another example would be, you know, when a Christian looks out at creation, they might say something like, wow, God really is a magnificent creator, right? We see the facts of creation and infer that there must be a creator. But when an atheist sees the same thing, the bare facts are the same. The evidence is exactly the same. They might say, 
wow, this is beautiful, or I'm really lucky to be alive and to experience this. Um, and if they do take a stab at the metaphysical question of, of, you know, why it's there or what it means or anything along those lines, they're going to give an atheological answer. Uh, now, is that because they were truly able to observe the data in an objective way, in a manner that us theists are incapable of? Or is it because their worldview influenced their interpretation of the data just as ours did? Right? We can observe the exact same facts, the same evidence, and as you're saying, come to completely opposite conclusions about what it means. And, and we do that largely because of these pre-existing beliefs that we hold, the way that we view the world. And the things that exert influence on us in this way are not just our beliefs about God, but all of these little things that we've picked up in the groundwater, things that we've implicitly received from our environment, from our family, from our culture, from our religious practices even. All of these things are, are continually influencing our other beliefs and our decisions and our actions. And I think one of the things that uh, really helps us to see things more clearly is to be exposed to different cultures and different eras of history. Uh, this is one of the reasons that uh, C.S. Lewis advocates for reading old books, uh, so that you're exposed to cultures that are vastly different from your own. And it's not as though other cultures don't have their own struggles or other periods of history don't have their own struggles, struggles, but they're, they're likely different struggles than, than we have. And so it can help us to see things a little bit more clearly. I'll just give uh, an example from uh, ministry that uh, I think maybe some people might be able to relate to on some level, not that uh, other people have necessarily experienced the same thing, but I think um, largely people's intuitions will, will have been the same as mine were. Um, so I was, I was working with an ethnic minority population, and there was a couple who had gotten engaged uh, to be married, but the father was refusing to allow the marriage to go ahead because his son's fiance wasn't baptized. Now, so that's, that's the circumstance uh, that, that we were facing. And at the time, I was really learning a lot about baptism and learning to, to value it more highly. And I was really hesitant to just go ahead uh, and bap baptize somebody because they wanted to be married, right? Like, I didn't know if this person wanted to be a Christian or if she was just doing it because she wants to be married to this guy. And that, to me, didn't seem like a good enough reason to be baptized. And so I felt like I needed to safeguard the sacrament in some way. That was my gut uh, reaction to the situation. But as, as we talked about it, I eventually realized that, that my value on individual choice and individual freedom was provoking this response in me and that it is actually my view that was out of alignment with scripture and, and not theirs. In, uh, in Acts chapter 16, there's this really great story of Paul and Silas who are in jail. And there's a dramatic intervention by the Lord where their chains are broken. And when the guard sees it, he's about to kill himself. Uh, but Paul talks him down and the jailer responds, what must I do to be saved? And they said, uh, this is verse 31, Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once with all his family. 
Now, what's really interesting about this is that I, I really want to assume that Paul and Silas talked to each member of that household individually and confirmed that they actually really firmly wanted to be baptized, right? That it, that it was real for them, that it was personal for them. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that. I, I read that into the text because that's what my worldview dictates should happen. And while I don't think that Paul was out there forcibly baptizing people, you know, against their will, uh, in this cultural context, it's, it's virtually inconceivable that a man would convert to Christianity and his wife and his children wouldn't. You know, household mm-hmm. conversions are the norm. And so we can ask, you know, was, was this jailer, was the Philippian jailer's family baptized because they wanted to be or because he was? Um, but we actually don't really have an answer to that question in the scriptures. It's, it's not a question that seemed to bother Paul and Silas. It's not a question that Luke felt was important to include uh, in the narrative. It's a question that arises from our cultural context and our worldview. Yeah, so, that, that's, that's really interesting. Um, so what you're saying is, is that we should set up our sprinklers <laughs> and and just set it on the street so when people walk by, we're baptized. No, I'm, just, I'm kidding, that's of course. That's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but that's a, that's a great, it's a great example, uh, both biblically and like in, in the culture, because we, we so often, and I, and I catch myself doing this probably on a daily basis, is smuggling in the culture into my belief system yeah. of Christianity. And... And then just like questioning it and being like, why the, why, why do we do that? Like, why do I, I, I have this cultural Christianity belief and it's kind of jarring sometimes when you, when you start questioning it and you, and you go to the Bible and you're like, okay, well, is it cultural or is it biblical? Let's take a look and let's actually dig in and, and see what we can find. And, and sometimes you find things that that kind of, it makes you uncomfortable. Suffice to say. Yeah. And, and it kind of can knock you off for a week. You're kind of like, oh man, I'm a little bit reeling here because uh, this foundation that I've created uh, is literally that. I have just created that foundation, or at least I've allowed the culture to help me create that pillar of foundation and, and to try and challenge it so that, so that my foundation isn't something that I've made, but it's something that the Bible has made, that God has made for me to stand solid on. So yeah, that's a really good example. Yeah. In, in that case, it was, you know, my cultural priority on individualism was influencing my hermeneutic of the scriptures, how I, how I was reading and understanding the scriptures, uh, and also, uh, in some ways dictating my pastoral response to a situation. And, uh, it took me time to see it too. Like it, it wasn't a short, conversation this stuff can be quite difficult to to wrestle through um yeah so again we we all have beliefs that that govern our perceptions of the world and we're often unaware of them and one of the reasons that i think you know these two things are important points to make before we really begin to discuss secularism is in particular is because of the way that secularism approaches metaphysics which is essentially to ignore it Um, secularism occupies a position of perceived neutrality 
which is presented as being void of any metaphysical beliefs at all. And so the beliefs of secular society, as far as you can even talk about such a thing, are, are, are predicated on objectively verifiable facts. At least that's the way that it's presented. Uh, but if you remember, you know, thinking again about this conversation about uh, various economic policies of political parties, you're, you're going to present your case using hard data. But underneath all of our rationalizations, there's this ever present influence of our belief system. Uh, in fact, there's a very good chance that your conclusions were more or less set before you even started compiling the data. And that's one of the things that, that you were talking about, right? Mm -hmm. like, like most of the time, we're pretty bad at research. We typically research to find evidence to support our conclusions. Well, absolutely. You know, yeah. most, of the, most of the time, an argument is sort of hanging off the conclusion rather than starting from a, a firm foundation and being built up. Mm -hmm. um, but my, any, anyways, my, my point is that this idea that secularism is neutral on the metaphysical questions is actually not sustainable. There's still a framework of belief, whether it is consciously identified or not, that is present and exerting influence. Well, and I, you know, I, I think of uh, just that whole idea of uh, the perceived neutrality and, uh, and being void of metaphysical beliefs at all is actually built on the foundation of metaphysical beliefs. Yes. And, and, they, and, and that, it's that smuggling in of groundwater. It's like, hey, my plant is sitting here in, in dry ground. I kind of need groundwater in order to actually start growing something. And so then they, they smuggle in, uh, you know, the metaphysical groundwater to kind of start, start the shoots going. And then they, they grow and then ignore that it was even ever there. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's it, like, for instance, science can't prove itself. And science can't prove math because that, that materialistic worldview is very much, well, we, on, we can only prove things that are physical. Right. And so that means physical things are the only thing that exist. And it's like this logic loop where it's just like, well, if only physical things exist, obviously we can only prove physical things. So right. you say God isn't physical. Well, of course we can't prove it. You can't prove God exists because it's not physical. And it's like, well, yeah, we never said that you could prove it physically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. To, to, you know, to say that only objectively verifiable facts are of value for determining beliefs or determining truth even is itself a metaphysical assertion. It's not in the realm of what is verifiable. It's still a belief that, that you're holding. And uh, yeah, so I, th I think it's important to acknowledge that. And by the same token, I don't, I don't bring that up just so that we can say, you know, that members of secular society are, are largely ignorant. Oh, no. But primarily, I want that to shed light on us as Christians because we have been immersed in secular society and in Canadian or North American culture and in a host of other things that have colored the way that we see the world. This mm -hmm. is the ocean that we live in. So, you know, again, this illustration about a political economic discussion, you're going to present your case, even as a Christian, as much as possible using empirical data because we live in a secular age. You know, you wouldn't make the same argument if you lived somewhere else uh, or some when else, right? Our, our way of thinking, our way of speaking has largely been formed by our environment, which is secularism. If, if you want to convince people that you're right about something, the most advantageous strategy is to present yourself as a disengaged observer 
and, and then, as mm-hmm. you say, to to smuggle the metaphysics or to smuggle the mm-hmm. the emotion uh, into it. But but you want to act as though you don't have a bias or a vested interest in the outcome, right? These aren't my opinions. These are these are just facts, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we make that argument in that way, and we leave out the things that we leave out because we live in a secular age, because we are secular people. It has formed us. Yeah, and you know thinking about the, the the crossover between the metaphysical and the physical uh and you said it earlier uh when thinking if you were thinking if you were presenting an argument when 3000 years ago uh they would very much have the metaphysical and physical are married together like they happen very concurrently um and we've very much separated the two even as a christian culture i've noticed in myself anyway maybe i can only speak for myself on that but um that it's almost like well the metaphysical has no impact on the physical and the physical has no impact on the metaphysical and they're separated and it's almost uh it's almost like a gnosticism type of of deal where you know the two are separated completely and i can live a, a very physical life where i'm doing things physically throwing evidence out physically and then there's the metaphysical, well, that happens on Sunday afternoon. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? But but very much 3,000 years ago, no, like they would be so intertwined that you wouldn't be able to do anything physical that's not impacting the metaphysical. Uh, metaphysical things that are going on, uh, they actually impact the physical world. And and even, and this is, this is kind of like a, an ironic statement, but... Uh, uh, I like to find evidences for that metaphysical thing happening, which is really weird because I'm looking for physical evidence of metaphysical things happening. And and I see some things that cross over, like I watched a TED Talk where the speaker said, when you, when you have your palm open, you are more open to other people uh, telling you things. So... If I were to talk to you and I, instead of like pointing at you with my, with my finger at you and my palm down and my, my knuckles kind of curled around, um, I'm actually dictating something to you right. and you will be very unlikely to actually listen to what I'm saying. Right. But if I were to hold an open palm to you and say exactly the same phrase in the same tone, you will right away be more open to me. And even myself, if my hand palms are open and facing up, I'm very much more open to information. And and I was like, well, that's very interesting. And then it kind of dawned on me, well, I see people like Christians with their palms up all the time when they're in worship or when they're praying. I'm like, well, that's a very physical action that we do as Christians to make ourselves more open to God. Right. Um, and so I like it. And I, and I, so I started doing it. I come from a background where if you're not just standing dead straight and not making any motions whatsoever, you're being a good Christian. <laughs> but uh, I started doing that and I, yeah, it makes me more open to um, just the impact of the Holy Spirit. And it kind of just opens this thing in me that says, oh, no, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm ready for you to, to come and, and speak to me, so to speak, in, in a very wishy-washy way to say, speak to me, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, impact my thinking, I guess. 
Yeah, there's. I think there's a lot more mystery in our world than than uh, we're accustomed to seeing. Yeah, and it, you generally, I find it makes me uncomfortable anyway. Oh, there's a mystery. Ah, we don't have answers for that yet. <laughs> Come on, I can't Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so just one more time here. Uh, our two main points that we've been hitting. We all have metaphysical beliefs that govern our perceptions of the world. And secondly, we're often unaware of them. And uh, we will get a lot deeper into, you know, the specifics of secularism uh, in the next one and uh, as, as we go after that. But my hope as we get into these discussions is that our eyes will be opened to at least some of the things that are present uh, in our groundwater, some of the pressures and beliefs of secularism that are ingrained in us that perhaps uh, we weren't aware of before, that, that it can open our eyes uh, and, and help us to see them. Um, if you're listening and you have uh, questions or comments, uh, feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, we have a, an email set up, missionarydistrict at gmail.com. Uh, you can get in touch with us there. And uh, we would uh, really love to hear from you and uh, hear how uh, you are enjoying or not enjoying uh, these, these episodes. Obviously, only enjoying. We only want good news. <laughs> we don't want bad news. We want to maintain our bias. Maybe keep it good news for the first one or two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and that's fair because this is the first time we're doing it and, and we're going to mess up. Actually, any feedback is good feedback. As long as it's, that's true. As long as it's... Uh, edifying in some way. <laughs> say five good things and then you can say one bad thing. I think that's the ratio that you're supposed to use in marriage. So um, I think that should work here, I guess. So we're going to do this again, right? How many times do you think we're going to... I don't know. Don't know. So maybe in the next, we'll do this four times maybe, and then we'll see after that. We'll, we'll tackle the subject of secularism. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes and, and then uh, yeah. how, how people are receiving it and if it's something that people are, are even interested in. Uh, as I said before, it's a, b a bit experimental for me uh, to go with this format. So, Yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, anything that we talked about, we will try and post into the, the description of this podcast. Thanks, Amos. Thank you, Tyler. Great. And we will talk to you all later. <laughs>